0: I messed up recently with one of my employees. Her birthday was in July, about a month ago, and I completely missed it. And unfortunately, so did the rest of the team. Now, ordinarily, this probably wouldn't be a big deal, but don't forget that my employees and I have been working remotely for two and a half years, and this employee joined during COVID and still hasn't met the whole team. It was a signal that she perhaps wasn't as valued, seen, or respected as she thought and it hurt. As an employer, I can make a repair, but it does leave me wondering, what is it that we as leaders, supervisors, and bosses are supposed to do to help our employees right now? And what do we do that sometimes makes it worse? It's important that our employees feel engaged and connected to us in the workplace today, and it's hard to know what to do. In today's episode of Let's Make Work Human, May and I kick the tires of what it is that we should do to help our employees today. Have a listen. In a world where workplaces are sometimes toxic for
1: people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Let's Make Work Human, we discuss how organizations can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author. And I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, Mayrats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, partnering while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit the human beings who work there. We're on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud.
2: Hi, Mo. Hi, May. Welcome to Podcasting Land. Today, we're going to talk about people and work like we do every time, but this time we're going to talk specifically about what are the best and the worst things that you could do for your people right now, right now being as there's like maybe a looming recession. I say maybe looming recession because I don't I don't really know. Are we in one? Are we not in one? Are we going to one? Are we not going to one? It feels a little bit like a party. We're not all sure if we want to go to or not go to and we're not invited or not. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a wee bit of disagreement. There, yeah, I've fat. I've never researched so much on what it is. Even until now, now I'm very clear on what a recession even is. So not that I even should be. Anyways. All right. So we're talking about, we're talking about the best and worst things you can do for your people in these yeah. moments. Also, that being that there, we aren't out of a pandemic and that the world is a little wild right now, still it continues to be. And that election season is ramping. And you know, there's a lot happening right now that might yeah. be affecting all your people at work at all times. And yeah. also work has to continue going. Right. Capitalism has not been retired. So <laughs> that's where we are. What what are the best and the worst? We're gonna treat yeah. this a little bit like one of those seventeen magazine quizzes. Best oh, and yeah. worst things you can do.
1: Yeah excellent and but in those quizzes you could you could mess up the results by just scratching out your answer and answering again like how to attract your boyfriend and then you could change your answers and you'd be like oh yeah I can do that I can put on lip gloss that's what I remember from 17 so we're gonna do the bet, the way the best and worst things it's such a good question and I you know for me I find myself noticing I'm noticing my own resistance to the dot 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 that's like now I notice that I sometimes feel as though the things you do for the people, for all your people that are working for you, are the same now as they were back in another <laughs> time. You know, yeah. like those things that are best for people in the workplace, to me, are pretty much always the same, you know. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they're, that they're particularly heightened in terms of being needs right now amidst the turbulence that we're facing, the ongoing ambiguity, the fear of job loss in the recession, the persistent... Um, you know, impacts of COVID uh, are, are definitely creating, like, some specific circumstances. But the solutions for me are similar to what they were before all of these things. <laughs> <changes. laughs> um, but it's like we just feel it more acutely maybe now.
2: Yeah, maybe. Well, or maybe that's, like, something that we do, that we just mm-hmm. assume that now is very special compared to, or it's harder than it has ever been, or people don't want to come to work now, or nobody yeah. wants a job, or everybody has a job except for me, you know, like maybe that's just something we do. So maybe that's like a myth we need to kibosh a little, that all the things that were good before are still good to do. Right.
1: Yes. And well,
2: right.
1: (laughs) Right. Except that they're, yes. And I think the things that I would say, and I'll be curious what you think are the best things that we should do for people right now. I feel as though they are consistent, and they are, Um, not surface perks Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is you know what I feel we butt up against sometimes when we think about what we do that's good for people because of the Silicon Valley effect that makes it look like surface perks are what's good for people so you know do I have on-site dry cleaning or do I have um, you know Wi-Fi on my commuter van I think are historically what we think of in the big five tech companies in particular about what's good for people and I just want to say like very clearly that that's not what works in harder times like right now. <laughs> but it doesn't work in the good times either. Right. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. Good or bad time it doesn't work. No, I don't think the surface parts work because people are smarter than that. So like one thing that does work and I think that people really need right now is they need leaders who are good for them. They need leaders who are good for people. I think one of the number one things that we need to do for people right now at work is to help them have Immediate leaders who are good for them, leader. You know the way I always say that. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Is leaders who are good for people. I think that's really important because we know our company, small or large, through our immediate supervisor.
2: What does it mean to be a leader that's good for people? What does it look like? What does that caricature person? What does it do?
1: I think of it that a, a leader who's good for people is someone who can activate the talents of their people for success and also leave people feeling seen and connected. Mm. and um, I think that that's one of the biggest things that we need from work all the time, but especially right now where we have so many hybrid work arrangements. People are working remotely in many sectors, especially in the knowledge worker sector. We talked about that last week, Um, and also even in sectors that are back to work full-time, service sectors, healthcare workers, education. I still think that one of the really high needs that every worker at every level has is to feel seen, to be appreciative for who they are, and the one of the biggest ways that they get that is when their immediate supervisor or boss or whatever you call them, manager, leader, is capable of creating a meaningful connection with you. And, now, will and so, you,
2: will you pause right there, and will you reach into your like vault of stories, back into the back into the back, to a story <laughs> that I have never heard before for a leader that you experienced? Maybe wasn't a great leader all the time but had a really impeccable way of leading, was a good leader, even in just that moment. Do you have like a really good example of how it walks and talks or walked and talked to you? Oh,
1: well, I have a few examples because I, I worked for some some good leaders. Um, I think that one person that comes to mind that you have heard me talk about before, but maybe in a different context, is Anne Smolo, who I worked for for many years at Project Adventure. And one of the things that Anne did that was really powerful for me around being a leader who was good for people is that she always saw my unique set of circumstances. So I was a young mother. She was also a young mother. Um, We were traveling a lot and those dimensions of the work were hard. I was also one of the only women in our consulting teams that went into work with organizations. And I always felt that Anne was like, particularly tuned into my unique circumstances as a senior consultant at that company. And it was only many, many years later when I um, did some work with a mutual colleague, Steve Butler, who you've met. Hi, Steve. And and Steve was like, he telling me the story of how he felt so special with Anne because she always saw oh. his unique circumstances. And I was like, oh, no, she just did that. Yeah. for me, Right. <laughs> so we both felt seen for our unique circumstances. And I think that's one of the things a leader who's good for people does is they they know you, they know a little bit about your story, they, they treat you as though you're special, you know, that you matter to them, not just you, the generic employee number 4477, but like Mo Carrick or Steve Butler, because we had different skills, we had different abilities.
2: Mm, I Definitely. love that. That's the best. Also that it took so long for you to like divulge that to each other. So great.
1: I know. I know. Many years, like 20 years practically before we yeah. had that connection around I'm how what we felt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the <a> special <laughs> one. That's great. Okay. I cut you off. Go on. Well, what do you think's good for people? What, how do you think that looks and feels? A leader who's good for people?
2: I had this swim coach um, when I was 11, 11 to 15. His name is Dave Chen. And he was also, now that I look back, he was like 22 at the time, which I felt like he was like 90. Right. But one of the things that we had to do in one, all these practices was this very specific set, which w- consisted of doing very fast intervals as quickly mm-hmm. as you possibly could. And then it would get marked down. And it was a lot of them. Usually it was like 2050s or, you know, 10, 100s or something. And they mm-hmm. had to be just all out, you know. And I used to dread them except with Dave because Dave had a way of just putting the bar just high enough that I was like felt it felt impossible, but I would do it. Right? It would happen and I would feel so much self-pride about mm. it, mm-hmm. that it actually didn't have anything to do with Dave for me. It All it had to do was that I, I knew that after a little while, once he told me a number that I would just do it. Mm. Right, that he wasn't just playing a guessing game with me, but that he actually knew me. It's very interesting that it's like it goes hand in hand with you and yeah. hand, but that yeah. he knew me so well that he could set the bar at a place where I would succeed. And if I didn't actually reach it, it didn't feel like I failed. Mm. It felt like I'll get it next time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I felt like I could just always um, depend on his view of what I was about to do. Um, yeah, that's a very trusted advisor.
1: Yeah, and that's really inspiring because it's also about it's about um, challenging you to go perhaps f- faster than you thought, which was something and did for me as well. Which is, you know, where I think people get a little snagged sometimes in the work that we do around making workplaces fit for life because they think it bumps up against accountability or mm-hmm. um, innovation or really hard work. And it's like, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I ever worked harder for a boss than I did for Anne, you know, I stretched my ass off. And I I always felt challenged, but I didn't feel demoralized. When Mm -hmm. I failed, I felt like, wow, she thinks I can do this, I better buckle down, like, I bet I can, but I'm going to have to really work so that you it sounds like with with Dave, that was true for you as well.
2: Yeah, I've just never felt more proud of myself, I think, than making myself proud. Right? I wasn't doing right. it to make Dave proud. I was making yeah. it to make myself proud, and I right. think that for is that's a strong and brave and good leader to me yeah. is when they kind of take themselves out of the picture.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, can
2: you get the other person to feel their own potential that you see in them, yeah. and then take the reins themselves? Right, um, which is very difficult to do. It turns out it is. It is difficult <laughs> to do. It is difficult but, to do. Uh, Will you debunk for a second that that is a skill that you, that will not debunk that it's a skill, but debunk that there's like only some people that can do that. There's Ann's and there's Mo's and there's Dave's and then that's it. That's the end. And when we're done with all of you, we're hopefully there's a new one. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad you, I'm glad you added me to that list because oh, otherwise you
1: I was going to be insecure that I was not a leader you thought was good for people. So that's good. We have to check with the rest of our team to see if that's really true. The
2: May Loves Mo podcast is a different podcast. It comes out on Mondays. It's, it's different. It's I think, huge. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we can call our other colleagues and see if they agree. But um, I think that it's not true that some people are just good at this and some people aren't. I, I really believe that any anybody who is a leader of people in any capacity, like you mentioned, a coach or a teacher or a, a people leader at work, can be good for those people um, by, by, by focusing on them, by thinking about their job being about bringing out their highest and best use, about helping them feel connected to a community of work that sees them and gets them and that they feel safe to show up and say and do hard things. I think anybody, can do that. What it requires, though, is a lot of self-awareness and a capacity to be relentlessly curious about those individual human beings. And and I think what happens per the question at hand today, which is like, what should we be doing right now to help people in these very dynamic times? I think one of the tensions is that the organization itself may feel like it has competing goals. You know, like, let's say my goals are to sell X number of widgets, or my goals are to push X number of patients through the ER. I got a, a text from a friend whose son is a paramedic this weekend who said that uh, his son is being told to transport patients instead of going to the local ER to go two to four hours away. And wow. I was thinking, wow, what's that like for that director of the ER right now, how does that person lead courageously and be good for people when that's what they're up against, like a completely full emergency room where you're having to send ambulances away, like that's hard. Mm -hmm. And so what comes up for me about that is that that leader, that whoever that is, the the shift manager or the director of the ER, whatever position is in charge, is going to want to be tuned into what's happening to their staff, is going to care about how hard it is. And let them know they're going to notice and let them know that they see them, that they appreciate them um, and and provide some validation for them to take care of themselves. Like all those things that are about being good for those providers is really particularly important during a time that's highly stressful like that.
2: I said this before we started the recording, but I there is no difference especially with that answer that you just gave, there's no difference in what is good for the system and what is good for the people yeah. inside of the system. Right. And I think that too can turn into this misunderstanding to use yes. a very tender word, but that <laughs> sometimes the the business of business can get in the way of taking care of the people that are inside of them, especially in times like that one with that ER director, right? Like yes. We just need to get some stuff done, right? Everybody's yeah. just got to push. We I don't know. So it's, I can hear how it would be very easy to do that as opposed Mm -hmm. to slowing down just like one step, right? And asking everybody how they're genuinely doing. And Well, yeah. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. And it comes from a mindset that the people are separate from the results. Like, oh, we just have to do – for me, that mindset, and I think many of us are are victim to it, is that we are machines and that we can just – that we because we're machines, we ought to be able to perform and produce, no matter what, no matter how hard it is. And you know, I'll point out that even machines break down, but <clears throat> humans for sure have limits. And so, if our human beings that work for us have limits, they're impacted by the hard things that are happening right now. They're having a mental health crisis. They're um, they're having a daycare challenge. They have a dog who's passing. Like that employee cannot. Realistically, be asked to come to work performing one hundred and ten percent at that particular moment doesn't mean they can't work or that they won't be adding value, but it may not be that they can at that moment. I think, I think that's one of the things we have to we have to really give people in times that are stressful is a recognition of their humanity.
2: What do you think about that? There's this um, meme going around, or graphic, or I don't know, Gen Z or come for me. I don't know what the terms are, but um, that that like and, 100% one day looks different than 100% another day. And I'm finding that there's a little bit of tension between what, we, what I hear you say sometimes, which is that most expensive person you can have, most expensive thing you can have is someone who is coming to work at only 50%. Find the connective bits for me between like my 50% effort that day is uh, all I got. Yeah, right. And being the most expensive thing you have. <laughs> like, yeah. like, find the little bits of like, no, we want people to give you 100% every day, but their 100% might look different, especially yeah. under massive amounts of stress.
1: Yes, absolutely. And
2: tension, right? And that, that you're banking that their well gets larger. Right? Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, yes. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it is a bit of a, like a little stitch in the algor- algorithm, right? <laughs> um, because I'm saying, it sounds like I'm talking to two sides, of, you know, talking on both sides of my mouth. And I can, I, I think I probably am sometimes. I yeah. also want to point out, though, that I, I've noticed in myself when I use that metaphor, when I say like, if you know, if I say, you know, you want, if, if someone's only producing at 50% of their capacity, then you're not getting the highest and best use. And that is very expensive. I mean, the 50% capacity that they have for work, mm. because I don't think we should as humans expend ourselves completely and drain our batteries completely with our jobs. And the reason for that is because our, our lives need our our batteries also, our caretaking responsibilities, our community responsibilities, just our, our self-care needs our batteries. So it's like, what's the percentage of ourselves that we can bring to work? And it's that that I'm saying, you know, in general, I think we want to help our employees bring as close to maximum of what they have available for work to work on most days. And mm-hmm. so, for, you know, thinking of you, May, if I, if I was noticing that over a period of weeks or months, you were consistently feeding back to me. Like I'm just not kicking it. I don't know. I'm not feeling good, or I was noticing that you were like a little bit retired on station, which I can't imagine with you, but you know, I could. (laughs) I would want to ask about that to find out: is this a pattern, or is this a bad week, or even a bad month? Because I do think the employer has an obligation to notice if someone is misfit in their role, and if it's time to make a change, because you know, neither you nor I would feel good if you were only coming to work every day on most days with a mere fraction of your good stuff, because you're going to be leaving an awful lot at home. But on occasional, yeah, Mo, you know, my dog is sick, my kid is got no daycare, whatever. I think as an employer, I'm obligated to understand your humanity and be able to flex accordingly. But I wouldn't expect or hope that that would be what's happening every single day.
2: One of the, thank you. No, I, my brain can rest. Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the things I think too that you didn't say inside of there, but I I just have caught through years of years of working with you, is that you didn't make you're not making up a story. The employer in that instance or the manager is not making up a story about why this person's having a hard time. They're asking, mm, yeah, if everything is okay, you know, or what mm-hmm. is happening. Mm-hmm. because those stories i think can be especially in moments right now when we're talking about like what's good and what's bad i would put in the thing that i think is really really bad <laughs> is making up stories about why people are not doing well without right. knowing what the actual truth is yeah um, what is true because as soon as you've already met made up a story about it uh you have a larger conversation on your hands <laughs> and it's a bummer conversation
1: Yeah. And tell me what you think some of the stories that employers or leaders make up that are very detrimental to employees.
2: That person doesn't care. That person's a slacker. That person's leaving anyways. That person is so entitled that they don't even need this job, really. I heard this thing about them and their husband makes this much money, so they're fine. Yeah. Right. Like it so quickly tumbles into gossip when mm-hmm. we make up a story that I think then it just gets more and more hurtful. I We've talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the most like tender, wonderful pieces that will like forever like live inside me with you and I is that you didn't make up a story when I was obviously not doing well at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you could have made up any amount of story you wanted because we hadn't seen each other. We'd like barely figured out how to work Zoom. I had a newborn. So, the story seemed very easy to me, yeah. except those weren't the stories. Yeah. Right? Like, it wasn't what was happening. It was that my partner was severely depressed. And so, I think that is just such an illustration for me on why it's so important to ask, because you could have not asked and they still would have been good enough stories. I mean, yeah. I was just tired. <laughs> like, I wasn't just tired, I was also tired and also, right? But that yeah. wasn't the thing that was the most painful. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I think that's a good point, and I think we do make up stuff, and including
1: the one you didn't mention. But I think it's common for employers or bosses to do, which is to say they're incompetent or mm-hmm. they're, they can't do this job. You know, which sometimes come up, comes up. There's a little caveat for me there, and I think it's really a sensitive one during these dynamic times right now, which is that we can ask and we can ask an employee how they're doing. We can notice, for example, if they're not performing. Um, their job well. We can ask, like, what do they think might be contributing? We also, though, want to make sure that we're respecting privacy boundaries. You were very open with me in that example and shared with me what was happening in your family. Our colleagues have each had, as have I, moments when we've had the same conversation around, like, here's why I'm not doing very well or why I'm not very present. I'm thinking about when my mom died, as an example, Thinking about some challenges that Cameron and Jessica have had that are personal and I've noticed that it's up to me to notice the miss or the what appears to be the felt experience that's hard and then to be curious enough to let that person tell the story they want to, which mm-hmm. sometimes it might be I can't, I don't want to share the details. But there is something happening that's affecting my concentration at work. And thank you for asking. And I think it will be resolved by tomorrow. Or I think I'll be more ready to talk about it tomorrow. Because, you know, we can't, as employers, we can't always expect our employees to openly and transparently share with us all the details of their personal situation. But at least if we are noticing something, they can confirm that and share with us maybe
2: what they need. So first thing is to care about people. Right. Second thing is to be curious. Yep. Third thing is to believe them when they tell you the yes. thing. Yep. Those are the things that are good to do for mm-hmm. your people. One thing that's bad is to make up a story. Yes. Without checking. Yes. Other thing is to divide the results from the people. you yes. got to make sure people and system seem the same in your brain. Otherwise, you will make decisions that seem fragmented
1: right that you' that your your best route to get to the good results are mm-hmm. by taking care of your most precious resource, the ones that get you those results, which are the people that are working for and with you totally, which yeah.
2: brings me to a thing which is that the one of the things I think would be most surprising in these moments, speaking as an employee mm-hmm. for the employers to do right now, is instead of these mass layoffs instead yeah. of making everybody really scared instead of saying. Recession, 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 capital are very scary recession, which by the way, for all your uh mid-20s to late 30 workers, mid-40 workers, all of us were 10, uh, 10 to 18,
1: hmm. the last
2: time there was a major recession. And we watched our parents struggle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have like this internalized fear of what a recession means. So you don't got to tell us that it's scary. <laughs> like right. we got it. It lives in our bones. We hear you. And we also don't want to be there. So just a note that all your mid-level managers know <laughs> we got it. That it w- Wouldn't it be so interesting if all the managers and all the bosses turned around and instead invested heavily in all of their leaders, skilling up Mm -hmm. in being leaders right now, because actually in a huge storm, I don't know how to sail a boat, everybody, but I watched Maiden and here's what I learned. (laughs) I think you probably shore up the boat. Like you don't start dropping things out of the boat and taking the sail down. Right. So what if that happened? But Mo, talk to me about Okay, if that's your plan, if you're a manager who's like, okay, I'm going to invest in my people because I want them to believe in us. But there is also a recession, right? What do you do? Well, it's a tough it's a tough one
1: because I do think the biggest thing, you know, let's face it, the thing that puts a fear in people about a recession is job loss.
2: Mm-hmm. Hands
1: down, job loss. In a recession, the economy will shrink, people won't be buying things, and that will mean that there is there is less work to be done. And we all depend on our work, both for our economic thriving, but also for our emotional, intellectual thriving. Mm-hmm. So we all want to be able to keep working. Now, the lower levels of any organization are the most at risk for layoffs often, although sometimes middle management is also at risk for layoffs during a recession where companies are trying to save money by decreasing costs. Payroll is often the biggest expense of any organization. And this is why it's so frightening for people. So the anxiety is normal. But to your point, you know, if we had everybody higher performing, would we be able to tackle the recession more productively, perhaps. And there's been a number of examples where that is exactly what's happened, where companies have made a no-layoff decision. Now, oftentimes those are the privately held companies who have the flexibility of not being dependent on stock market returns to mm-hmm. make decisions to invest and hold steady for that time, or maybe to save on capital expenses or to save money in other time so they can hold hold things together. We also saw during COVID that some organizations did things like brought their employees together to talk about um, how they could manage the cost reduction in a more proactive way. Like let's cut everybody 10% Mm -hmm. instead of laying off three, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are powerful creative solutions that sort of spread, you know, the hit. So I think it's one thing employers can do, I think is to not make it an automatic place we go in terms of anxiety, like, Oh, recession means job loss, Mm
2: -hmm. because there are
1: actually some ways we can probably um, avoid or mitigate job loss. But as a senior leader, especially in an organization, I think we need to be aware that we, if, especially if we're the owner of the business, we have more security than the front line because it's mm-hmm. our business. You know, mm-hmm. so that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's any safer because we could still take huge losses. But it's not as easy as someone just saying, I don't need you anymore in this in this job, which is just a terrifying thing mm-hmm. to happen. Um, so I think employers are obligated to, to manage anxiety by both letting people know what their intentions are but also may by letting them know what's real and i i think that's i think everybody would just rather know the truth <laughs> like are if we're in a recession are we likely going to have layoffs is that one of the places we're likely going to go when might that be likely to happen how low does our revenue have to get before that might happen those you know those are really scary to talk about but most people would rather know that that's happening the sooner the better you know we've seen some things on social media and stuff lately about layoffs being announced on zoom where people literally came into the office without any anticipation and then they then they get their job they get fired on zoom and and they weren't expecting it at all and i i watch those scenarios and i say to myself i bet somebody knew that this was coming yes you know and why not talk about that with people why not give them the privilege of understanding what's real so that they can make decisions that serve them and their family sooner, I think that's what I would ask of employers is to tell the truth.
2: And the ripple effects of things like that happening in, like, just a in a trauma way for people is that then it it goes into their next system, right? It goes into the next boss, mm-hmm. and then that boss has to be sturdy enough to right. undo the amount of trauma that came from the last one which is that, right? Like I can imagine the messages, if I am not perfect, then I will get canned. And it could be any day, right? Or it doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to get canned no matter what. Both of those employees in those situations, one's a perfectionist and one is apathetic. Neither you want, right? Right. (laughs) Like both of those are not helpful to the system. So the, the ripple effects of just not even being, of not being truthful to your people are that then we end up with this a larger system of trouble, yeah. yeah, and that I think I mean not everybody is thinking about it in that way, I'm sure, but it doesn't help your talent pool, all right, right. if we're all just hurting each other,
1: well, like, we're walking around with all this fear and, yeah. and I, I think one of the myths that feeds into that, um may, do you remember that movie in oh, what was that movie that had um Jack Nicholas and Tom Cruise where he says. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, but I know the quote. Yeah. It's a military movie, and and he says, you know, <laughs> Jack Nicholson says to Tom Cruise, they're in a court of law, he says, you can't, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. I think we have a mindset sometimes about employees that they can't handle the truth. And that if we tell them the truth, they'll just be more anxiety. But that's not my experience with organizations. I've seen organizations, big and small, do much better when they have a history of being transparent with their employees, which sounds like, you know, A, we understand you might be afraid of layoffs. B, here's the point at which we think layoffs might have to be a factor, if at all. C, here's what we're committed to doing, um, so that they can make decisions that work for them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that it's like, employee, you know, any any employee, including you and Cameron and Jessica, who work for me, you guys are smart enough to handle the upside downside of mm-hmm. the business. You know, you're not you're not ignorant. And if I say to you, you know, we have this, we need to make this revenue amount in order to pay our expenses every month, and we haven't made that in three months, you're going to understand, like, well, that means we got to make something different we got to make a change now in a small business it's a little bit easier to do to communicate that that way because it's just a few people than of course in a bigger business but i think there are ways to do it hey there if you're a people leader in any sector at any level you're probably impacted right now by statistics like this of small businesses are reporting that difficulty with hiring is impacting their bottom line. And 87% of those hiring right now, according to Goldman Sachs, are finding it difficult to hire and keep the talent they need. Guess what this means? As we enter potential economic instability, it's more important than ever that you can both attract and keep the amazing people you need that make your organization great. I want to help you do that. And as a result, I'm offering a first-time-ever Culture Masterclass. It's starting on August 25th. It's only $99 for three hours of incredible practical content. You're going to walk away with the tools you need to leverage your people and culture assets to survive any storm ahead. I'll see you there.
2: There are ways and the people are paying attention. Yeah. So right. the waves might not actually be as big as you think. <laughs> like, you don't have to send out a giant press release. You can message it to the people you need to message it to. Yeah, I totally. They can handle the truth and the silence is itself its own truth. Totally. You're not saying anything. People hear it anyways. Yes. You might as well say it. Yes. So another good thing for your people is to be as honest as possible. Be as
1: honest as possible with compassion. Yes. I think another thing that we can do for people right now is to give them as much visibility as we can into why we're doing everything we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, whether we're stalling a capital investment or we are um, pursuing a merger or we're declining a round of funding or, you know, whatever. Not even to do with payroll, but like to help employees have some context for why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Um, I think gives people, again, more color um, about the reasons that the changes they're experiencing are, are happening.
2: What do you think about in that vein of changing or making your one-on-ones into a more, maybe tender is not the right word, but like focused time with your mm-hmm. people? Like if you mm-hmm. have one-on-ones in either direction, if it's with your manager asking in your one-on-ones for specifically what you need and what kind of one-on-one you need, and information. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, making your one-on-ones as personal as they need to be yeah. in that time, you know, or as like directed with energy as you possibly can. Because yeah. in my experience, my one-on-ones with you, when I'm feeling anxiety, sometimes we don't even need to talk about the thing that's making me anxious. But if I just get time with you, I feel calmer Yes. because I remember that you see me, <laughs> that yeah, I'm not absolutely. just like some random person out here. I may, uh- you know, what I look like. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's particularly important in the virtual environment where people aren't getting much face time anyway, like in our company. But I also think that it's important to gather your team in those times so people see each other. You know, we talk about the wheel of team care, which has the the relationship between the boss and the employee, which matters, but also the rim of that wheel, which connects employees to other employees so that they can feel that they're not alone. And that they're because, you know, at, at its best, our workplaces are communities, And so when I'm facing stress as a community, whether it's change or it's disruption or, you know, the threat of a global pandemic, what I want is to gather my community. I want to know, like, I'm not alone. And so you're spot on. Those one-on-ones become so important for connection, for feeling seen. And then also those ways to connect with the team and surface and talk about what's happening in a transparent way, allow everybody to feel like, oh, okay, we are in this together, using your boat metaphor. And I loved Maiden, by the way. Yeah. Um, but you know, That's we are funny.
2: all in this boat and th- if the boat sinks, it's, we're all going to get wet. Here's one thing that I think is, gets nerve wracking for, is that they think they actually shouldn't be anxious. They get anxious about feeling anxious, Hmm. right? Because there's a lot of things to be anxious about and some things are worth being anxious about. <laughs> some things are not, which I yeah. think some of it is that it can be quelled by this being clear and being honest situation. Another bit that I'm picking up on is like that, yes, we're going to tell them the truth about what is real Mm -hmm. and what they should be anxious about, or if there needs to be any anxiety. Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what is a good way to communicate the things that you need to be anxious about? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically about you having a very, um, come to Jesus conversation with us as a team of telling us what we needed to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: if by the end of the year, we didn't do that thing. We don't work here essentially.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Like we don't yeah. have a job and yeah. that actually was not scary, but it was the, a very effective way of communicating what to be anxious about in order to yeah. work, be prioritizing that thing. Yeah. So Tell me if that was like a very calculated thing that you did. That Did you practice that in front of a mirror many times before you did that? <laughs> is there something that people should be saying in order to like, because telling someone they should be anxious about something is not comfortable, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, totally. No, it's not comfortable. And I can tap into the importance of doing your own work as a business owner or people leader first. And it's just, it reminds me of the same thing. Like when you're in a, a dire or an emergency situation at home, you know, the firefighter who's approaching the burning building because of his or her training, they've thought through putting on their protective gear, you know, before they run in. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that's important. And so I think it's the same is true for us. So using, you know, your example of like me talking to you all about the realities of our business shutting down during COVID, I had to do my own work around, hang on a second, where am I hopeful? Where do I have some concern? How am I going to manage that anxiety? So that I wasn't just pouring it out on, leaking it out on you, which Mm -hmm. wouldn't feel good to you all, but it also wouldn't feel good to me. So I think Mm -hmm. the leader has to do their own work on their own anxiety to find their ground and confidence in, in order to, to share. And then I think they've got to share with some focus on where can people take some action to mitigate the anxiety Right? Because anxiety can be very contagious, and we can spiral into the anxiety without feeling like there's anything we can do about it. And I think we all do much better, as you said in our example, when we can say, oh, yeah, this, I'm highly anxious, but here's something I can do to help with that anxiety. Mm -hmm. I can generate some new leads. I can help make sure we sell the contracts that we have that are open. I can get to know what our clients' needs are so that we can help them during the global pandemic. Those were things that each of you as our team was able to help me with. Um, and and so it would it was it it reduced and mitigated and and it m- it mitigated the anxiety. And I think p- part of that also is because then courage can show up, which is like I'm willing to step into this uncertainty even though I know it is scary because I have some tools and I have something to focus on to contribute to the solutions. And I think that employers can, can do that Mm -hmm. and leaders of teams can do that.
2: We have a lot, we have a whole soapbox about how um, no one should be a hero at work, but there is a bit there that reminds me of Shackleton and the specific part about Shackleton getting his crew that he wrote in the ad about all the skills he needed. And specifically, it was like, uh, this is not going to be easy and you might die. <laughs> but if you're right. cool with that, then come. And he yeah. got a full boat of people, right? So then right. when they did get stuck, and like, it was like, well, we can either hang out or eat each other or, you know, go on a long walk, they all knew it. Yeah. And I think that's the bit is like, yeah, if you put it in the ad, <laughs> that we are in a hard place, and also, this yeah. is what we're going to do about it. Yeah. That when you get stuck in the ice, no one is surprised. Everybody's right. like, okay, great. I packed yes. my boots for this very moment, and also my dog, so that we could eat him. Like, that's important. <laughs> so, I think that's also good for the employee, too, is like, find the bit you can do. Yes. And if you can't find it, ask about it. <laughs> Yes, I think yes. that really had served me in those moments, is the more mm-hmm. clear I can get about what my part is and how yeah. I can contribute in that moment, the more clear I am of why I'm even pushing this boulder. Yes, absolutely. Why am I even rowing this boat, you know? Yes, All yes. Things.
1: Well, yes, and I think we have so many good examples of this, particularly in certain sectors like healthcare and education, where people really did have to do hard things, mm-hmm. and they but they did them not necessarily because they were like all about being heroic, but because they knew what needed to be done. They were confident they could do it, and they were um, given the support needed to do it.
2: And literally uh, that's where a breakdown happens when people freak, don't know. Yes. Why the thing they're doing is even important. Right. Yes. So then the anxiety r- rises. It's higher. And then they become less sure about even what they're doing. Yep. And then they care less about the team, right? It just mm-hmm. seems like it's an And they're more ride.
1: isolated, yes, and more afraid. Or maybe they're hustling more to prove that they're worth it, you know, when, when that doesn't necessarily help. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good call out around something that we can do during these di- very dynamic times of change for employees at every level is to um, you know, acknowledge anxiety, but also bravely progress through it by taking action where we can um, and by supporting the right action that others can do as well.
2: Okay, here's my next question. It has to do with money. I'm seeing some, some of my fellow millennials who are in systems uh, who are trying to figure out how to skill up and how to ask for that, right? How to ask for support and skilling up, because they want to make them make sure that they are steady inside of the system of like, don't fire me, because I'm useful is part of right. it. And the other part yeah. is like, I do want to be useful to the system, right? Mm-hmm. Some of it is like larger view, some of it is very individual. The other bit is that these other millennials who are solo entrepreneurs or who are just starting their businesses, right, as a recession hits, mm-hmm. like for the love of God, this is like probably very scary is it time to spend money like is it the time to invest in yourself if you're an entrepreneur it is there a mixed message here of like do not buckle down like do not spend money buckle down make sure you weather the storm with as much money as you have right now or is it like no that this is the time (laughs) this is the time that calls for this
1: yeah yeah
2: like clear the winds a little bit for us. Are you spending money? What are you doing right now? Yeah, it's such
1: a good question and I think it's probably different based on your sector, you know. Mm. Um but I do think that expending energy on resources during, you know, when you're going into a hard time is not a bad idea. As long as you're spending in a in a thoughtful way. So, to give you an example like for our business, I I am investing in our business. I'm investing in particular in the skills of my employees, including myself, because I'm pretty confident and I've weathered through several recessions as a business owner, I'm pretty confident that as long as we have the skills we need to deliver high value to our clients, we will be able to support our clients who still have needs in a recession. But we've got to have the collective skill to do that. So that to me feels like a very worthwhile investment. I am not buying new office space right now, (laughs) right? And I'm not buying company cars and I'm not sending, you know, uh, all of us um extra special logo wear like th- to me those things w- while nice are not a key priority right now in terms of cash flow because i also want us to make sure we have enough cash so that we can meet payroll over you know if 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 there's some lean months um but i'm not pulling the plug on strategic investments that facilitate my team having the capacity to deliver value to our clients. I'm not stopping that. And I'm not seeing my clients stop that either. The smart ones, the ones that are really um, working to make sure that they're resilient in a very dynamic uh, economy are also making strategically thoughtful investments that they think will help them hold steady, um, but they're not being frivolous mm-hmm. or wasteful. I mean, hopefully companies aren't always frivolous, but I think sometimes when the, when the going is really good, we sometimes spend money that's not as strategic.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, this goes back to your first point of the surface perks are not the thing. They haven't right. been the thing in the good, in the good times and they're not the things in the bad times. Right. But I think that's just a good note of if you are thinking about spending money on yourself in yeah. this time as an as a employee or as a business owner or asking for your company to support you in learning, yeah. now is actually a good time um, yeah. because it's going to pay off when the weather calms. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but that the worst case scenario, say your boat stays together in a recession. The worst case, of course, the worst case scenario is that your your boat blows apart and whatever, right? right? But the worst, the second worst case scenario is that you get to the end and everybody is so tired and so weathered and so hungry and so mad at each other that they quit anyways. <laughs> they don't want to be on your boat anymore yeah. because they saw what you did in the storm. And you sucked. And they're like, eh, no, thank you. Right? Like, right. my marriage isn't going to survive this. My family isn't going to survive this. We can't do that anymore. I've looked already for 14 other jobs. Goodbye. Yeah. So that yeah. to me is the worst case, second worst case scenario. Is that like you get to the end and you like, we made it. And everybody's like, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> we're nice. not doing yeah, it. I'm we're not like with me. you. But the way that you mitigate that, I think, is by when the rain is coming, you're like, we're in it together. Yeah. We don't carry the same amount of risk. We don't carry the same amount of reward, but we're in this together. And here's how I'm going to show you that we're in it together.
1: Absolutely. And you're spot on because that's how then we can we can really, um, you know, jump forward, let's say, post-recession. And I think, May, I would add another layer to that. And that is that for anybody, any employer of any size right now, as we face something like a pending potential recession, um, we are not, we are all already tired, so, right. So because we've come through two plus years of a global pandemic and economic yeah. trouble. And so we're not dealing with a a particularly like on fire workforce energetically just because of all the changes that our whole society has faced. So we've got to remember that we can't we can't just you can't get blood from a stone, you know, to use that metaphor. You you can't force people to, for example, knuckle down and do the hard thing because we're weathering a storm when they're already you know, depleted and exhausted. And and the last thing I would add is something that came up when you were talking, and I know you and I both have, you know, a mountaineering history. And I'm just struck with how accidents happen on the way down.
2: Yeah, on the way home. Right?
1: on the way home. And yep. so it's like that, there's a metaphor there for me, even though I'm not big on mountaineering metaphors for leadership, as you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. but yeah. I
1: do sometimes okay. think in my mind as a business owner, what I see with my clients, it's like the, the owners of the company, the CEOs should be thinking about the post-recession the way down, the the post difficulty. What what will we want to have happen farther down? And that's what senior leaders should um, should be thinking about. I think is like, and and that's that's a way we avoid the anxiety too. Because I don't, if if I'm if if you, my employees are really anxious, and I can't see past the next year or two of stormy waters, then we're just all anxious. Mm-hmm. And I think it's my job as a senior leader to be able to say, "Hey, look where we're headed. Yeah, there might be some rough water in between, but we've got the skills to get through it. We've got the tools. We've got the people. And I and I think sometimes senior leaders don't remember that that is part of their job is to think mm-hmm. farther out than their employees and to provide some um, some stability and some certainty of mm-hmm. success in that way. Even though they, you know, they, we can't guarantee success, but we can certainly go for it." You know, we can try to maintain our optimism, which is an emotional intelligence skill, um, in the face of hard times. I think that that's you know goes back to something we talked about earlier, which is leaders who are good for people also have the capacity to retain some optimism even when things look dark.
2: Yeah, and I'll, there's so much talk right now about about wow, it's another thing. You know, I I say this sometimes, like that's another thing. I can we can barely get through one and then we're like, can't even take a deep breath. And then we're in another one, mm-hmm. another hard thing. But the flip side, the optimistic piece of that is look how far we have come. Right. You know, like, wow. Mm. Good on us. You know? Yeah. And I'm thinking about all those teachers out there in their first weeks of school right now. And the last two years have been heinous. Yeah. And look how far we have come. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just really Uh, honestly, proud to be working during this time, actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I think that's the lesson is like, wow, we were all in the same boat. Yeah, this is kind of a wild boat to be in. Mm -hmm. But we got we got good boats. They've made it this far. You know, I think that would be a great message also to get is like, we aren't scared. We are nervous, maybe, but yeah, we've been here before.
1: We've been here before. And also we can do hard things. I mean, I I just think that that's such a profound skill of maintaining that belief of like, we can do hard things and we stand a much higher chance of doing hard things together Mm -hmm. at work than we do standing alone. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's another nod to, I think, um, to the people leaders in the system to remember that they are not alone but also that they need to help their people not feel alone and that there's a lot of strength that comes from being part of a group together together
2: this was delightful thanks mom
1: thank you thank you i'm inspired.